Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that tells you to run more removal, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined today by the weathered wayfarer herself, Emma. How are you getting on? Yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. Um, busy again because we're now into Double Masters preview season because oh, preview yeah. season never ends. Um, <laughs> also finishing up Commander Legends in the middle of that, so that's been great. Um, yep. So for content this week, I look at Monogreen Tron on a budget because the deck is mm. actually secretly good in modern and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Also, just a reminder what I said last week, TCG player have a Double Masters preview going up on Tuesday mm. the 21st. So if you want to see what the card is, feel free to check the uh, article when that goes live in the week. Nice. As for non-magic, I'm still knee-deep in Fire Emblem Free Houses about halfway through mm-hmm. the Golden Deer campaign and it you know that point you get into an RPG where you play for like four to five hours and you're like mm-hmm. I get this now I'm really like absorbed I'm into in it. it yeah yeah you're fully yeah. into it that's where I am but yeah that's pretty nice. much it busy with work playing Fire Emblem how about you mm. yeah I'm good I'm good I've been working on like sort of a few background things like nothing super exciting but this week's article is actually a follow-up to last week's artisan commander episode so i go into the differences between it and regular commander as well as some examples of staples and how it feels to play and that kind of thing so that's now live on card kingdom you can read that additional supplement after the show and i've also been brewing a bit this week again because you might start getting this soon but like you start playing with your commander decks for a bit and then you're like I need something else. These aren't quite doing it for me, so I need something new. And that's what I've had over the last week or two. And I think I found a Bant deck, of all things, that might be fixing that. Yeah, a Bant deck I actually like, right? Are you it's, okay? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've brewed a budget Rego Streetwise Mentor deck. That's Ooh, the, nice. the Bant one that you could technically pay for with all white. And whenever you attack with creatures with power one or less, uh, you draw a card for each opponent you're attacking. And it is a lot of fun to play. It's just full of really, really tiny evasive creatures and lots of cheap interaction and uses Rigo as the key card draw engine. And it feels almost like a commander sort of tempo deck in a way. Mm-hmm. Really, really enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. Outside of Magic, though, I've been playing a lot of Dicey Dungeons again. I think I mentioned this before, but this time I'm playing it on Switch instead of PC because, you know, I have the Switch now. And it's kind of like a cross between Slay the Spire and some, like, old-school turn-based RPGs, but it's using dice instead of cards, and it's just really, really colourful. It's set up like a game show where you start off and the first character is like, oh, you're a warrior. And it just shows like a dice with like a face and it's got like a sword and a shield. And it's like, oh, I'm going into the dungeon. And, you know, it's very cutesy kind of thing. Yeah. And what's interesting about it is it's made by a guy called Terry Cavanaugh, who's an Irish game designer. And the soundtrack is made by Chipsel, who's a very well-known and phenomenal Irish chiptune artist. And it's also one of the only games that I know with an Irish language option in it as well. Oh, so wow. it's one of the few like very successful games that has come almost exclusively from Ireland, which is, you know, interesting. Um, but it's cool. It's a very good game. I highly recommend it. And then yesterday, because we record on Sunday, today is technically Father's Day. And I went to my sister's house yesterday for an early Father's Day dinner because she just had a child recently. So... My brother-in-law, Alex, is his first Father's Day as well. And my dad came over as well. We had a huge, like, charcuterie board that I set up. And we had, uh, like, ribeye steaks and salads and all sorts of stuff. Like, a real big summer feast. It was so good. I'm still eating leftovers. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. Parmesan and pesto potato salad, by the way. Oh, I do Mm. love me some pesto. So good. I want to do a cheese board now. God damn it. Well, tell you what. I'll run the ad. You get a cheese board and we'll meet back here in two minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BM cast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BMCast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. Alright, so we are back. Emma has a cheese board, and it is my turn (laughs) for Card of the Week. And I have an interesting one here. I... Forgot this card existed, I'll be honest. This seems to happen a lot with these card of the weeks that I find. I just stumble across them and I'm like, oh, I forgot you. So this one is from Strixhaven. It is called Augmenter Pugilist. So it is one green green for a 3-3 troll druid with trample. Try saying that three times fast. And (laughs) it reads, as long as you control eight or more lands, Augmenter Pugilist gets plus five, plus five. Now, that's fine. That's not particularly spicy or exciting. But the back half of it, because it's an MDFC, is Echoing Equation. Three blue-blue for a sorcery that reads, Choose target creature you control. Each other creature you control becomes a copy of it until end of turn, except those creatures aren't legendary if the chosen creature is legendary. So, first of all, the front, cheap beater, whatever. You can pressure early on with it, that kind of thing. It's grand. But Echoing Equation is the real reason to use this card. You could turn all your creatures into one specific creature. So if you're in a Spellslinger deck, say like you've got a Team or Calamax deck or something like that that runs a load of token generators, you could turn all your tokens into like a gutter snipe and then you cast like one spell and 20 damage to everybody or something, like something crazy like that. Or you can copy a bunch of Blightsteel Colossus or copy a bunch of Sakashimas, why not? You know, just like something ridiculous. Like you could do wild, wild things with these kind of copy effects. It's sort of like an after-the-fact version of Mystic Reflection, which is really cool. Five mana is a little expensive to pay for it, but for an effect that's this big, like it'll often turn into just, well, win the game with this, you know? So yeah, it's worth checking it out, especially considering it's 17 cents. So you can't really go wrong. I forgot this card existed, to be honest. And again, I forget a lot of cards existed in Strixhaven because there's just words. Yeah. I think secretly Strixhaven is actually one of the best sets in recent memory for Commander stuff. I agree. So, as you mentioned earlier on, it is non-stop spoiler season. Perpetual. We can't catch a break. It's perpetual. Yes. (laughs) Perpetual. So, we are now in Double Masters 22 preview season. And we're here to talk about a couple of things. First of all, we're going to talk about a couple of the reprints and that kind of thing. We're going to talk a little bit about pauper downshifts and that kind of thing as well. And we're just going to have a little bit of a chat about it because, you know, we've already seen all these cards before. We don't need to talk about where we might see play with them and that kind of thing. So instead, we'll just have a chat. So to those that don't know, Double Masters 2022 is the follow up to Double Masters from what, like two years ago? 2020. It was released two years ago this month. It's the replacement for the master sets going forward. It's my it's my Seems guess. Like They're it. gonna release one of these every two years when there isn't a Wonder Horizon set, would be my guess. Oh god. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the idea with this is it's an all reprint set and you get two rares per pack. And in the first pick when you're drafting, you get to pick two. But then after that, it's back to one. That sounds cool, right? You buy a pack, you're gonna have two rares in it, and you know, when you see some of the rares and mythics that are coming in the set it seems really good, right? Like you have 
things like Imperial Seal being reprinted for the first time. Granted, it's at Mythic, but it's going to be a damn sight cheaper than... What was it, like $600 or something like this? Uh, more? more like 1300 Good lord. Because like, the other the other printing, I believe, is the Judge foil. There's a Judge printing of it, but which obviously mm. is really hard to come by, and it's quite old. Yeah. So if you are after an Imperial Seal, this is probably your best bet to get one, depending on price, obviously. like Yeah, of it's course. It's hard to gauge the price of the set. Yeah. Then <laughs> you've got other great ones, like you've got Dockside Extortionist. Granted, it's at Mythic, which isn't great, but, you know, we'll take a reprint where we can get it. Uh, one thing I was slightly impressed by was Phyrexian Altar is at Rare. Yes. That was, was getting up to like $80 or something. Like, that is a mm. good one to see at Rare. You also have, like, I'm just going to ream out a few of these here. So you've got Mana Vault, Sensei's Divining Top, Bloom Tender, Vidalcan Orrery, Allosaurus Shepherd, Crucible of Worlds, Consecrated Sphinx, the Eldrazi Titans, Ren and Six, Liliana the Last Hope. Like, these are all fantastic. Some of them admittedly not necessarily had to have been a mythic and there was one on this list that i actually skipped in particular because i feel like you might want to have a little yeah, bit of a complaint pe- about this people know what it is because they saw me complaining on twitter um during mm. the week and that's cavernous souls i don't get why it's a mythic still may money. i add yeah but it's still money out of rare it was still expensive as a rare back in Abyssin restored I oh think yeah it was printed in but yeah they upshifted it and it's still upshifted again this free i will preface these mythics all have like borderless treatments and edge foil treatments as well as their mm-hmm. traditional printing so you get free there's the opportunity of three different types you can open which is great yeah and it's double the booster pack like double the rares so there's a good chance you might open one the fact it's a mythic really annoys me because you play four in tribal decks you don't just play yeah. the one it's pricing people playing out tribal decks which is just not fair because a lot of people play magic to play tribal decks they want to play their elves and their goblins and their merfolk if you're wanting to feel Mm. sorry for yourself so (laughs) (laughs) i saw a tweet there from i think it was jeffrey palmer the guy who's putting paddington into uh, magic art every day until he doesn't yeah Yeah, he put up the other day that uh merfolk are the white cards of blue cards Yeah. (laughs) That killed me. A lot of people got annoyed, but it was worth it, I think. (laughs) But yeah, so like there are really, really good reprints here. Unfortunately, some of them should not be mythic. Uh, Like you said, Cavern of Souls and that kind of thing. But some of the ones that are at rare here, they they could have done with getting a chunk taken out of their price for sure. Like Bloom Tender, still like $30 or something. Fidalcan Arri, still roughly around that as well. Like I said, Phyrexian Altar, that's going to be halved minimum. And that's great top as well yeah. is probably going to go down a little bit as well even though it's still a rare yeah so the last time that was reprinted was in the list that was with kamigawa neon dynasty and the thing with that was that it did actually have a little bit of a down tick in price which is good but this is now much more reliable reprinting than the list so yeah. we should see a bit more of a, a drop down what i think happens with top is that like it gets to about like 50 60 dollars or whatever gets reprinted drops to like 20 and then just starts climbing back up because it's yeah. one of those cards you know so yeah another one that i'm very annoyed at and this is my little mini rant for this one is crucible of worlds because yeah. it's at mythic right that is how it's always been but i have a problem with that because we had ramen app excavator for example in Air of Devastation, it was a rare and it had the exact same text. Yeah. Why? Why is Crucible still at a mythic? Crucible's actually been upshifted because it was a rare in Fifth Dawn and 10th edition. Was it? Okay. Yeah, it was the M19 printing that upshifted it to mythic. 
that's what I'm thinking of. That's what I'm thinking of. I was around for that one. I wasn't around for the yeah, the American so, block one. Yeah. So okay. I was just ch- just checked on Skyfall now because I'm pretty sure I saw it as a rare. So it was printed first in Fifth Dawn as a rare. Then Tenth was a rare. Then it got a couple of judge printings, and then after that, it was the masterpiece version, which is essentially a mm. mythic. Let's be honest. And then from M19 Super onwards, mythic. it's just been a mythic printing. So it's been upshi- upshifted. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's actually a different story then. Uh, I retract and change everything I've just said. This is bull because whenever they do something like this where they upshift it to Mythic, they claim it's for like the limited format or whatever. And like, it's not. It's not. You know that this is a money card and you don't want to tank the price too hard. Like, that's what you're doing. That way, it allows them to retain the ability to reprint this again later at Mythic and still have people clamoring for packs. Like, that's, that's the process here. They don't say it, but it's what they're doing. And... It's another perfect example is like Sensei's Divining Top was originally an uncommon. Yeah. Why they still have to keep it at rare, I don't know. No, maybe that'll have something to do with like the limited environment. People will just keep pulling tops and to sticking it fair, into there. I could see yeah. that one because playing <laughs> against top is top mirrors are miserable at the best of times, let's be honest. They're just games. Every single limited deck having two <laughs> tops in it would just be oh, a nightmare. Miserable. <laughs> but yes, so what we're getting at here is that there are some phenomenal reprints here. The value of the set is expected to be quite high. However, there is a problem. Now, it's minimized by the fact that we have, you know, the two rares per pack or whatever. But I don't think it's going to be all that helpful. And that is, there are some trash reprints in here as well. And when I say trash, I'm not talking about the cards themselves, necessarily. I'm talking about the value of these packs, right? And the cards. So, you have some of the earlier commanders and stuff you've got like mizix of the is magnus you've got gave guru of spores you have aminatu the fate shifter from i think it was commander 18 you've nickel bolus god pharaoh from air of devastation you've got fiery justice at rare the card that I basically nobody plays i do not understand why this card's been printed no. no and then also at mythic lord of extinction so <laughs> sure Sure, I get it. Like, it's still like a 7 or $10 card or whatever it is, whatever, right? But if you're opening a pack hoping for a Mana Vault or an Imperial Seal or a Dockside and you pull a Gave, like, perfectly understandable for you to just flip the table, like, yeah. in my opinion. Like, that's that's trash. Now, I know why they're doing this is because if they were to just put everything of value in here, the price of the packs will skyrocket. People will be whipping it off the shelves constantly and we wouldn't really get anywhere i get that but it's also frustrating like why fiery justice of all cards i don't get fiery justice at all oh. did someone just have like an affinity to that card like with lord of extinction apparently what's he love lord of extinction they keep reprinting that up i think like, yeah. i don't understand no one wants these cards Watsy. no one wants them i feel uh, some people do but like they're like kitchen table players for the most part i think like yeah. i have never personally in my hundreds and hundreds of games of playing commander not once have i seen the lord of extinction or fiery justice yeah it's just uh, it just makes me think because there is some good stuff in here and i'm just thinking what if we just put the calm fetches in here instead like it's a free color mm-hmm. draft set so you could easily put some really good fixing in this set outside of the yep. the new card the land that they've done that where you circle the colors thing yep. for draft you could easily just put a couple of fetches in there or put in the Ikoria triumphs that would be much easier than fiery justice that i don't think i've seen anyone ever play in my life yeah now there is one thing i do want to say about these quote-unquote bad reprints right 
they might be low value overall. Like some of these cards are only like four, five, six, seven, ten dollars. And sure, ten dollar cards a ten dollar card, but you're also paying ten plus dollars for a pack, you know, so you know, but a lot of these are, like I said, the older commanders and stuff that people love. They're some of the most popular commanders of all time, and people would be very happy to see these in alt art or etched foil or whatever and everything. So there is value in that, but not value enough to warrant buying the packs, I don't think. And when it comes to a lot of the reprints, right, I see like Ashenmoor Liege, the red black liege from Shadowmoor or whenever it was, right? They're only sort of up in value about seven, eight, nine dollars or so due to a lack of reprints previously it's not due to demand again i've never seen someone play an ash and war leech i know there are people out there that do because everybody plays every card somewhere but they're not super super popular but by comparison murkfiend leech the blue green one that untaps all your creatures during each upkeeper whichever that has been reprinted an additional four times prior to double masters right in a bunch of the commander things and on the list and that's why it's cheap it's down to like 50 60 cents or whatever because they felt like they needed to you know reprint the likes of ash and more legion stuff to get it down to the couple dollar price or whatever they're not going to just put part of a cycle in they're going to put the whole cycle in that's why we also have a reprint of Merkfiend liege which is going to suck ass when you crack it because that is a 50 cents card it's weird because I thought this was the case with the commands because Ataka Command's going to be in Double Masters as well. But they're mm. not reprinting the rest of them because Ujitai's command's been crunched out of the numbers and yeah. letters thing. So they can just not print all of them and just print a couple of them. Like yeah. They're not obligated to do a whole cycle. So no. I just don't know. I mean, it's cool to get Look. these in different treatments, don't get me wrong. And I imagine <laughs> they're quite good for the limited format because they're, it's a free colour set. These will help somewhere, but yeah. Just put my commander decks, dude. That's what they're yeah, there for. Right. Overall, like my my recommendation on this personally is like if you have money to burn and you just want to open a pack for the fun or something, sure, why not? Like it's a lottery. Like that's what opening packs are like in general. This is just mm. higher price, higher stakes, you know? So yeah. I don't yeah. think I will be buying any boosters. I might get some boosters. I might get some as part like, of a press kit. Like Same for yourself, I imagine. Mm. But yeah, I'm not going to go and spend 10 to £12 pounds on a booster. Um, no. Just given that. Unless I'm doing a draft. If I'm drafting the set, then cool. I'll buy boosters to do a draft. That's the only exception. Yeah. But otherwise, I think I'm just going to buy singles. And even then, it depends on the price of them. Because I wouldn't mind picking up like the, um, the Bounce Lands in full art mm -hmm. foil for my cube. Yeah. Because they all look really cool, but that's about it. And a Crucible would be nice for Quintorius, but if it's yeah. still super expensive, I'm not bothered by it. Yeah. There is one thing that you actually said there that just popped into my head, and that is you said about picking these up for like draft or whatever. Yeah. I don't think this is a scalding hot take or anything, but personally, I don't think they should be looking at the draft environment for sets like this just lean into and accept the fact that they're going like we're reprinting these cards because they're cards that everyone loves and they're hard to find so therefore we're just making more of them available and you can crack these packs and that allows them to put in you know things with certain rarities and that kind of thing and make things a little easier and more accessible for people without directly acknowledging that we're reprinting these because the secondary market is going out of control like they don't have to say that you know they never do but they don't acknowledge it officially no but they well do. i mean they, they do and they don't. They do, they do because they secret layers exist. You know. um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they definitely do. Um, but they also don't. 
winky face you know um yeah like i'm all for like letting people have like cool interesting draft formats and stuff but i think with something like this it's it's just a reprint set like just call it what it is yeah just throw the draft like format out the window for one set just one time and just give us good reprints please even the value of the boost is it's going to price a lot of people out of not being able to draft it anyway because it's twice three times the price yeah it's happened with ultimate masters as well when that got previewed and released yeah now am i the kind of person that if i had the money sitting about that i would just be like oh you know what it was my birthday recently i'll treat myself and just buy a collector booster for like 60 euro or whatever it's going to be mm. maybe <laughs> but i think i'd be i think i'd be more tempted to buy a box than a, i think i, I think if probably I had the money well. i'd just buy a box if in a world where we all just had disposable income um, I'll yeah. probably just buy a box and maybe forget about the box and then just draft it at some point I don't know I like keeping boxes for future to yeah. just draft for friends and stuff I think I think what we're saying is uh, do as we say not as we do yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah moving on there is one thing that really sparked my interest when they were doing the announcement stream on Twitch there on the you know official start of the previous season or whichever Popper Downshifts oh this is good I'm excited there's a few already there's quite a few you normally get it in master sets that's why I quite like Mm. what I like about them because often you see downshifts for the limited format is what what's he officially say because they don't really acknowledge pauper hence why the pauper format panel exists Mm -hmm. right they that's their job or our job Um, so just seeing these downshifts is just really nice because not only does it help the limited format it kind of helps pauper and it's just mm-hmm. I think that's a really effective way to freshen up a, a, a format is through downshifts which you don't get in any other format yeah. given the limitations so it's really exciting to see true so to cover a couple of them we'll just run through them here so the first one I see here is Bloodwater Entity it's one blue and red for a 2-2 elemental with flying and prowess and when it enters the battlefield you may put target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard on top of your library so this is not super exciting if this was an Archaeomancer effect where I put it back to your hand instead of top of your library, maybe. The only thing that I can sort of think of with this is the Thunderous Wrath, the red miracle. You can just put that back on top of your library, but that already yeah. requires you to have it in the bin. So it's it's more set up than it's probably worth. But, you know, could be interesting. You could put like your third frantic infantry back on top so it turns into another draw three or something. But like, Yeah, I could, yeah. I could see myself running like a one-off in Jeskai Wildfire. It's just a, a, a fun ephemerate target if I'm just low on... If I want another Archeomancer effect and I'm already full, this might be cool. It's like a one-off or a two-off. Just pop it on top and then preordain to draw it. I don't know. It's mm. a cool cup. Yeah. The one I'm quite excited about is Cartel Aristocrat, which was originally a uncommon in one of the mm-hmm. uh, original Ravnica sets. I want to say Gilpact. Uh, Gatecrash. Gatecrash. Okay. It was a Ravnica set. Yeah. yeah, so for a white and a black, you get a 2-2 human advisor that reads, uh, Sacrifice another creature. Cartel Aristocrat gains protection from the colour of your choice until end of turn. Pauper is slowly getting some really nice sacrifice outlets. Yeah. With red-black and black-white being on the cusp. Also, Pestilence decks are also looking for these kind of effects as well. It'd just be really interesting to see where sacrifice decks go from here. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just a really cool effect. And it's free as well compared to what you see with like Body Dropper and whatnot from Streets of New Capenna. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Because it's a free instant speed sack outlet, it feels more like combo-y in some sorts. Yeah. And I think this was a clever heads-up sort of downshift because not only is it something that's going to make other options more viable in the format, but a lot of people know Cartel Aristocrat as being yeah. like one of the original Aristocrat cards. So when they see that that's downshifted to Pauper, it's like, oh, I can play with my Cartel Aristocrats in Pauper now? <gasps> what? And that's how you get more people in, I think. But the next one that shows up here, I really like this one from Ravnica Allegiance, uh, Fireblade Artist. So it's black red for 2-2 human shaman with haste. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you may sack a creature. And when you do, Fireblade Artist deals two damage to target opponent or planeswalker. Now, obviously, the planeswalker part doesn't matter in Pauper. But a two mana 2-2 haste, perfectly fine by itself for Pauper. But the fact that you have a sacrifice every single turn that's an extra little bit of reach, it requires this to be answered even more so. Which I think is great. And red-black sacrifice decks in particular have been getting a lot of stuff recently. And yeah, a little less combo-oriented than the likes of Cartel Aristocrat, but it's more grind value oriented, which I think is going to be possibly the better version, I think, because... Mm. Red Black Sacrifice is already a thing in Pauper, and these are just more fantastic tools to help yeah. in general. Um, so the next one was a really big surprise because it was originally a rare yeah. and a corset um, from mm. a couple of years ago, and this is Dark Dweller Oracle. So for one generic and a red, you get a 2-2 Goblin Shaman that reads, you can pay one generic mana, sacrifice a creature, exile the top card of your library, you may play that card this turn. The default place this card goes to is in Goblins, like the combo version with first day mm. class, putrid goblin and all that. I'm pretty yeah. sure there's a line where you can just draw your whole deck and go off, mm. and it helps with Goblin Matron as well. Um, it might bring birth to like some other sacrifice archetypes as well, because it's sack, you get an effect. But I'm yep. really excited to see it in Goblins, because I think that just becomes really solid with this card. It just gives you that extra reach and value that you're after. Yeah, for sure. And I can't remember the last time I just saw a rare to common downshift. Like, you just never hear it that often. I think it was like Savannah Lines in one of the previous Master Sets or yeah, something. Like crazy. It was a while ago, yeah. But Dark Dweller Oracle's really, really cool, because... I feel like this can go in a lot of places. Like, this can also fit into goblins in general, like the non-combo goblins as well. Like, Mm. would also just be happy to have this because you just activate this in response to removal and you've just replaced your goblin with anything else, you know? So, yeah, there's a lot of homes that this can go into. I think it still reads like a common, like a very pushed common, but, like, it still reads like a common. So I do think it was quite a cool downshift, but... The next downshift from uncommon to common is Gnarlback Rhino. So 4 mana 4-4 four, four, Rhino with Trample that reads, Whenever you cast a spell that targets Gnarlback Rhino, draw a card. So, like, maybe there's some sort of, like, slightly bigger stompy deck or something that might want this because, you know, you can use your pump spells and your fight spells and that kind of stuff. These target it so you can draw a card. Rancor targets so you can draw a card. That kind of thing. It's like a go big equivalent to Stompy. Maybe that's what it needs to do because Stompy has been on the downtick for a while so maybe it needs something like this to be able to get a little bit beefier and get in with that kind of thing. The fact that it has Trample as well is really good for like pump spells and that sort of thing so maybe there'd be some sort of like slightly more like heroic slant that it takes possibly. Heroic is a deck is an archetype in Pauper. It's been a little unpopular lately so more tools for that the better I feel. 
Um, mm. So the next one was a all-star back in Ixalan Standard, oh, and that was it. Seeker Squire. So it was originally uncommon. Uh, so for one generic and a black, you get a 1-2, that's a human scout, and it reads, uh, When Seeker Squire enters the battlefield, it explores. If you don't remember what explore does, you reveal the top card of your library, you put that card into your hand if it's a land, otherwise you put a plus one, plus one counter onto it, uh, onto the creature, and then put that card back on top of your library, or you put it into the graveyard. Mm-hmm. I can see this one slotting in into Mono Black Control as an upgrade on Dust Legion Zealot because it just gets around the Combat Witch's ability. It doesn't mm. die. It survives that. It could come a 2-3, which is good defensively. It means it can get aggressive. It, feel, it feeds Gurmag Angler if you throw a land yep. in the bin. It's just a nice little upgrade for those style of decks. But the opportunity of it going elsewhere, of course, as well, because you just add, you just expand into the graveyard. You just add it more to mm. the graveyard if you want. Now, I had a little thought on where this might potentially show up as well. Do you remember back in Nukapana, you were expressing a bit of an interest in the likes of like snooping newsy and that kind of thing? Yes, that where great. <laughs> they sell they self mill and then you get a little bit bigger once they reach a certain point. This kind of effect might actually be pretty good mm. because you know you will be able to self mill most a lot of the time, and it will get a little bit bigger. Because you're self-milling, which is a very similar thing to Snooping Newsy and that kind of thing. So maybe that's something. Maybe there'll be some sort of like blue-black mid-range there, like I was suggesting the last time, and now we're just getting one or two more tools. Snooping Newsy has appeared in like a couple of Demir 5-0 lists, like Demir mm. Control 5-0 lists, just because that life link is really impo- really nice against like Burn and Aggro. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's another good shout. I do, it could be an opportunity just to have this sort of self-mill, mm. slam a huge Gurmag ahead of schedule. Why not? Yep. Yeah. Now, the next one, I loved this from Corset 19. Loved yes. it. Absolutely. Tried to make it a thing in standard, but obviously it was, you know, not good. But maybe in Pauper? Who knows? It's the same price as Grey Merchant of Asphodel, though, so we'll have to yeah. see. That is Vampire Sovereign. Three black black for a 3-4 Vampire Noble with flying, and when it enters the battlefield, target opponent loses three life, and you gain three life. So... First of all, Lightning Helix on a creature is real good. I remember people when this was first previewed in Core 19. People were like, oh my god, this is Siege Rhino. And I was like, no, it's not. But, you know, nice try. Now, with that said, it's still decent stats. It's still got a good ETB effect, so you could abuse it with flickers and that kind of thing. It wouldn't be terrible to, like, you know, turn one, Faithless Looting, turn two, Exhume. That's pretty Mm. good. I'm okay with that maybe you know that blue black control list that runs the striped river winders and the exhumes yeah. maybe it goes in there as like an actual normal castable wind con later that kind of thing <laughs> yeah something like that maybe or it's like black white flicker like the pestilence style decks that are more mid-rangey maybe it wants a couple of these who knows yeah i could see him on a black control as like a one of or a two of maybe alongside gary because it flies is the relevant bit so it blocks all the glint hawks and the core mm. sky fishes and the fairies eventually just get to you in the late game when they burn through your removal and plus yeah. the life gain is nice just against burn i know it's five mana and you're trying to stay alive by then yeah but it's worth noting mm-hmm. um and next up is a card i vaguely remember playing in khan's attack khan's block limited and that is tuscar mm-hmm. guardian so for two generic and a green, you get a two free human warrior with Outlast. Uh, it's got Outlast for a green, so you tap to put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature, and you can only Outlast as a sorcery. 
And mm -hmm. each creature you control with plus one, plus one counter on it has trample. So this could be a nice little payoff for Mono Green Stompy once again that runs all these counters, synergy mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, you also it's also a little oversubscribed because you do have stuff like Gnarly Colony already and Pride Malkin, mm -hmm. which also do the same thing. But it's also cool just to have those extra effects available if you fancy it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sweet downshift. Yeah, not bad. Speaking of sweet downshift and plus one plus one counters, we have experiment one. So single green for a one one human ooze with evolve. So whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, if they have a greater power or toughness than this creature, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. And you can remove two plus one plus one counters from experiment one to regenerate it. So yeah. Wanna green cool. Let's go. <laughs> It could be good in other decks as well. Like I could probably see this in, say, like a, like a, a green black mid range kind of thing. You know, maybe yeah. mono black control turns into Golgari uh, mid range, that kind of thing. Experiment one, pretty decent card to play alongside of, say, like the Lanawar Visionaries and that kind of thing. And you know, mm. so possibly an option as well. I think there's a couple of homes that this could be good for. I would love to see where it comes out over the next few weeks once it comes out yeah but yeah and a card that goes well with that experiment one is uh chronicle of heroes which was from the i believe it was from ferris block like the original mm -hmm. ferris block so for one generic a green and a white you get a free free creature central wizard that reads whenever chronicle of heroes enters the battlefield draw a card if you control a creature with a plus one plus one counter on it so it kind of gives the opportunity for there to be like a selesnia like modular counter style deck that uses like experimental yeah. one. You can use sparring constructs as well if you want. You can also use Rafine's Informant uh, if the Knife oh. gets a counter on it as well. Again, another sweet downshift. I'm not sure where it's mm. going to go, but a lot of the downshifts that you will probably see opens up to new archetypes instead of just bolstering new ones, uh, existing ones. So this yeah. is a really nice one. I'm yeah. interested to see where this lands. Now, the final one that we've seen is Lava Coil. So yes. one and a red sorcery. It deals four damage to target creature and if that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. I don't know if this is going to really show up much because, you know, Flame Slash already exists and the exile clause isn't super relevant, but maybe? It's good against Affinity when you have these mirror enforcers and whatnot, but... Mm. It's a nice option to have. Like the exile clause may be relevant if you know recursion exactly. and reanimate starter decks come back into the fold. It may not yeah. see any play now, but there could be some cards in the future that you know make these sort of reanimate starter decks really good and where the exile is really relevant. Um, yeah, the full damage is noteworthy though for Bulba mm -hmm. at least. Absolutely. And that is basically all that we've seen up until this point. As we said, we're recording on Sunday here, so if there's been any more since. We don't know about them yet. But I think there's some pretty decent downshifts here. Yeah. Some pretty good options. And I think this will cause a bit of a shake-up, which is nice. I can't remember the last time a set had this many downshifts, this many Same. playable downshifts. Yeah. I think the last one that I remember that was somewhat noteworthy was when Fiery Cannonade was downshifted in Commander Legends 1. And that was just yeah. a downshift. This not like a dozen. So I'd be really excited to see where Pulper lands with this because downshifting is essentially reinvigorating the metagame. <laughs> yeah. Which is a really cool way to look at it. What are your thoughts on this? Like, do you think that they, in, like Wizards in general, should be focusing on downshifting some cards? Or what do you reckon? Honestly, I I think when they downshift off, they're 
they just think of limited they just think they i think when they go to looking at designing a set they just look at the limited format first and foremost and if that includes downshifts mm -hmm. because it means you get to open these cards more frequently you can build decks around them so and so forth i think pauper is like a splash to that unfortunately mm. as much as i would like people to go yeah let's downshift let's put this into pauper because it's expensive this dust of dust could do with a reprint let's put it into this set for whatever reason i would love that yeah. but pauper doesn't make what's money so they're not gonna put a lot of effort into it unfortunately true but also i do think downshift is a really good way to reinvigorate the metagame if it gets mm -hmm. really stale but you can't really do that because sets are designed two years ahead of schedule so what yeah. might be good now the downshift won't not matter in the future yeah, it's it's cool that you know they do them, but I don't think I think pauper is a very much an afterthought when it comes to these things. For the majority of them, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I remember them saying on the Twitch stream there during the week when they were announcing some of these that particularly with Dark Dweller Oracle, they were like, we were originally thinking of putting this at Uncommon, but yeah. then we were like, uh, we might be able to push it and put it down to Common so that, you know, Pauper has a new toy and that kind of thing, basically. Yeah. So, like, it's not that they never think about it, it's just that it's not a primary concern. You know, like, if they see something and they're like, eh, can we swing that? Maybe. You know, that's more like what happens, you know. And when it comes to, like, purposely downshifting things or whatever, like, I kind of like it because it's it's basically the same as, like, releasing new cards anyway, you know? Like, it's still going to be like, oh, well, if, like, if they released a new card and was like, hey, look, this is a cool, exciting, new, fun card that happens to be a common and is going to shake up the popper metagame, like, say, I don't know, Deadly Dispute or whatever. I think that's good. I think that's a good thing because, you know, if we were to never get those things then we would have a stale metagame after a while and people would still complain <laughs> exactly yeah downshifting is basically still the same thing it's just with cards we already know so if anything it's a little easier to work with yeah and it's this affordability accessibility benefit as well mm. because you open more commons than you would on uh, than you would on commons and rares so you got that mm. caveat as well which is nice yeah so i think i think overall downshifts to popper these so far look like great ones i don't see any here that will be particularly problematic dark dweller oracle probably one I of the strongest dark ones oracle here but the only one but i don't think i think it will be fine um it's yeah just, it's just in the goblin combo shell you've got to see what people do with it basically but yeah. i'm not there's none of these none of these downs just going oh no paupers into it's not an yeah. issue like that so. for sure so that's all the info we have for now on double masters but we do have some q a i believe we do. So let's start off with Ev the Mage, and they ask, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think of Warp World in Commander? Oh, give me a second. I'm going to have to it's bring up Warp text, World again. It's got a lot of text, and I remember there being a lot of shuffling. I haven't played with the card in a very long so, time. <laughs> Warp World, for those that are uninitiated, is 5 red, red, red for a sorcery, 8 mana. Each player shuffles all permanents they own into their library, then reveals that many cards from the top of their library. Each player puts... All artifact, creature, and land cards revealed this way onto the battlefield, then does the same for enchantment cards, then puts all cards revealed this way that weren't put into the battlefield on the bottom of their library. So, it's a chaos card. And for the most part, chaos cards have a tendency to be... It can be very hit and miss, right? Because if people are into doing the chaos thing like if in your pre-game chat you bring out your chaos deck and you're like listen there's a chaos deck we're going to start swapping permanents and doing mad silly things and we all say yeah then we're in for that ride we're basically saying we're prepared to resolve a warp world yeah. but 
rocking up and not mentioning Warp World and then just like landing it, that's gonna get some like feel bads, you know. I do think that it is absolutely like on the silly side of things, unless you're doing something to like break the symmetry and like absolutely annihilate everything that your opponents have and then only give it yourself all the stuff or something like that, yeah. then maybe. But I personally find it to be a bit it's very much one of those like I need to mention this in the pregame chats. Yeah, kind of thing. this is yeah. definitely a, a one that you have to have a discussion. It's also yeah. there's a lot of maintenance with it because you have to shuffle everything back in. You have to remember how many permanents you shuffled in, reveal that many, and if there's any effects that happen when they come in with That's the, the pod, there's just a lot of maintenance and a lot of discussion. Yeah. And obviously, it just seems it just prolongs the game of Commander just with that faffing massively, around and talking. Massively. Honestly, I'm not a fan of that because I have better things to do. And mm -hmm. I think if someone resolved a warp world without me knowing or any sort of precursor conversa precursor conversation, I would just scoop because I just don't want yeah. to deal with that. <laughs> if I wasn't told about warp world and I was warp worlded, I'd be like, GG, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So. Ever also asks, is it the right level of jank? And I'm like, no, I don't think it's janky. I mean, it is, but in a seriously <laughs> inconvenient way. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's. Mm, yeah. I'm not a big fan of it, personally. No. Also, they ask, um, what do you feel about Glimpse of Tomorrow in Modern? Yeah, so Glimpse of Tomorrow being the suspend card that when it goes off, it's shuffle all permanents you own into your library, then reveal that many from the top of your library. It's like a self-warp world, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's cool. Like I've seen those decks happen before and go off and do the thing. They hog an awful lot of the chess clock, I think, like yeah. personally. But you need to be doing something special to want to do that. And yeah. you're after something in particular. You're either looking to go way over the top with people with, you know, ridiculous value like you have with the Omnats and the Wave Sifters and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Or you should probably actually just be playing creativity. Because yes. you're looking for something specific. You Creativity know, so. is the ideal warp world because it gets you something you actually want. Also, yeah. a sweet modern deck. Mm. Both are good. Um, then we have a question from Dr. Unks. They ask, have either of you tried to play Flesh and Blood yet? Uh, mm -hmm. If so, how does it compare to Magic for budget players? I admit I have four of the Clash decks and I have not opened them yet. I've been very bad on that front. And I think one of them is not legal anymore because one of the cards got banned. Yeah. So I've played it a few times. A good friend, Ian, not my boss, again, have to just say. <laughs> He's big into Flesh and Blood. He actually made the, the Pro Tour there, the last one. Yes. Um, I went over to New York for it and everything, had a great time. But I have played it a few times. I really, really like it. I find it hard to get into, personally, but that's because I am so used to the privilege that us Magic players have of having all the resource sites and deck building sites and all that are so fleshed out and finalized like Moxfield and Architect and MTG Goldfish and all that sorts of stuff and Flesh and Blood just doesn't have that yet you know so it's harder because the resources are harder to come by but for budget players uh, it's hard to explain so the regular formats and stuff can be very very expensive because some of the pieces of equipment for example the way it works to anyone that doesn't know is you have a hero and you have weapons for them and then you also have armor so it's kind of like an rpg loadout right and some of the equipment is extremely expensive i'm talking like 100 200 300 for a single card now the thing is you always have access to that card and you always use it and you only need one so it's better in that sense like compared to like oh you need a place out of force of negation like it's nowhere near as bad you know 
but there are some equivalents that are not quite as good but are kind of close you know you're paying the extra for that little extra bump and there's also commoner which is the pauper equivalent of flesh and blood and it seems to be quite good i had a look on the cost of a deck on card market for a commoner flesh and blood deck that i thought looked really cool and it was 11 euros so yeah like the common the commons are very cheap right now because it's all relatively new most is still in print and that kind of thing so yeah nice um, they also ask cheese with ice cream yes or no i'm gonna say no with an asterisk and the reason i say with an asterisk is because like i see that as two dairy products generally speaking and mixing those two things together they they share too many qualities i think personally yeah. but you know the asterisk is because there's exception to every rule i just haven't tried it yet so yeah uh not for me i think i can have cream and cheese like cream cheese fantastic because cheesecake exists and cheesecake is mm. awesome but mm, not with ice cream i don't think i think that's it's too much going on for me mm. temperature wise as well um, and then we got a question from ZachoW. They ask, why is Double Masters 2022 more Commander Legends than Commander Legends 2? And who is Commander Legends 2 for now? Like, will they, the people that wanted to pick up Baldur's Gate stuff, for example, are they going to wait and pick up stuff from Double Masters instead just because of product fatigue? What do you think? So I think what Zach's getting at here is like we're seeing loads of reprints of Commander cards and Commanders and that kind of thing in Double Masters. And I think that's where they might be getting at now. If I'm wrong on that, Zach, do let me know. But I think, well, first of all, you you can't really put the likes of Gave and Mizzix and that kind of thing in Baldur's Gate because it's not part of the, the IP. It's not the same, you know. But it's for different people, I think, because like that, like I'm more excited by Commander Legends 2 because there's more interesting, cool, weird Commander things to play around with and build around and stuff that's because I get bored with my commanders and I brew new decks all the time and everything and that kind of thing whereas I'm not so much looking for reprints and that kind of thing so like Double Masters not super interesting to me but Commander Legends 2 absolutely and there are people that are going to be the other way around and there are people that are going to be like you know what I'll buy both because both sounds good you know so agreed I'm just happy there's some reprints I think you've got to have some commander cards in it like just to, yeah. just to accommodate for people who like Commander, given how big and how prevalent it is, you need to tick that box. But fortunately, a lot of the desirable cards are also really expensive, like we mentioned with like Phyrexian Ulta, for example. Yeah, I think this is something that Zach might be getting at as well, is that the majority of the good cards that are being reprinted and the value cards and stuff that are being reprinted in Double Masters tend to be commander cards as well like you've got yeah. the imperial seal you've got the vault you've got the dockside all zenith. The, green sun zenith all that yeah. they're nearly all exclusively commander cards you know so <laughs> yeah i do get that as well but i also think that's pretty neat so yeah yeah just think it's neat mm. um and then simon g asked are there any cards that have you changed your opinion on lately like even if it's like a good card to bad or bad to good hmm. is there just like a magic card you ever played or played against that you think oh actually changed my mind on that Honestly, I'm going to use Rego Streetwise Mentor here because when I first read it, I was like, mm, you look kind of crap and you can draw max three cards every turn. And then I sort of thought about it and sat down and started tooling around with it. And then I was like, wait a second, this idiot draws you three cards a turn. Like, it's great. <laughs> it's really good. So yeah, very powerful engine that I completely overlooked. Yeah. Yeah, I think mine was is from Battles for Baldur's Gate, actually, when I played... Commander the other day with Contorius. Um, we've cut a deal. Yeah. 
There we go. I was like, this card seems like, I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was like amazing or mm -hmm. terrible. I just thought it was fine. But when I actually played, I'm like, damn, this is actually really good because I just draw three. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if anyone else draws one. I get to draw three. This is awesome. I want to do this again. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. I was very, very impressed. Um, and then lastly, we've got a question from the Joe Cheney. They ask, what do you do with your bulk rares? So bulk rares... To me, bulk rares implies like rares that I have no use for or won't have a use for. You know, they're just the ones that are there, mostly for limited and that kind of thing or whatever, that never even really show up in commander decks except for very specific commanders and that kind of thing. So them, I just throw them in a box and I forget about them. But a lot of my rares that I don't really have much use for yet is I have two boxes. Yeah, yeah. I have two boxes here. They're, you know, the, the, the long storage boxes that are like two columns wide or whatever. Oh, yeah, like the ones that LGSs have to store singles, yeah. that kind of thing. Exactly. I have, I have four columns worth of like basically commander slash modern playables, uh, well, and popper as well. And they're down here beside my desk and I use them to store all the stuff. So when I go brewing, I literally just lift them up and I sift through and whatever. And mm. that's where a lot of the bulk rares and stuff go. Like, I know people are like, oh, I'm going to put all my rares into binders. I'm like, are you, how many binders do you have? Like, yeah, I can't do that. It's too uh, much. What I, what I tend to do with bulk rares, if I know full well that I'm never going to use them for whatever reason, I just trade them into my LGS for store credit. I'm one of these people that likes to just always have store credit at my LGS for whatever reason, because I can use mm. that on product as well as singles, which is that's nice. Fair. Otherwise, if there is stuff that I'm like, I might use at some point, whether it's Commander or whatever, or Modern or Pioneer, I have a deck box that's just put like just bulk rares stuff that I'll keep. I've got a box for Pauper and I've got a box for like bulk rares, but often mm. I would just sort it out and just throw it up in LGS if not, because I, I value space as well. <laughs> yeah, I do too, but I value it because there's more space to put magic cards. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Drink Fanatic tier, we have Tom Telford, Anthony Burchett, Christopher McCarthy, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Ian Holland, Jeff Eaton, Jonas Kong, Kilgore Trout 503, Matthew O'Neill, Max Makes Magic, MF Peaches, Mini Maya, Munsu Light, Nicholas Martin, Ozan Kaplaner, Scott Hanch, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Zachary Morrow, and Tim Newman. And at the Songs tier, we have a nice planeswalker, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Brian A. Madden, Coffee, Everett. Brogan, Nerblin, Mickey Paris, Scott Creech, Seamus MC, Simon Grip, Jamie Coyle, and Clyde Anderson. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or simply message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck. Thank you.